0: Compassion is our theme. Compassion is more than a theme for me. Compassion is part of my life story. And I, I I believe that God has called me and I believe God has called all of us to to lives and lifestyles of compassion. And I thought, how do I communicate this to this congregation? Because you guys have this hands down. I, all you got to do is walk down the corridors here and you see pictures and, and, and uh opportunities that demonstrate the fact that you understand compassion as a congregation. You're involved all over the world. You have different ministries that you support. and So maybe this is not so much about instruction, though perhaps there'll be a bit of that. But let me mostly commend you for the heart that you have and the passion you have to serve in such a practical way. And I feel like I'm really preaching to the choir today, so apologize for that in advance. I but this take this opportunity then today to celebrate. I also want to tell some stories. That's okay. So I, I thought, how do I take what is, for, for me, perhaps my life story and condense it into all about the next 25 minutes or so? And I'm not sure that I can do that. So I thought the best way I can, can really do this is by, by having the opportunity to, to understand that compassion is God's call on all Christians to show compassion to those people in need, that we have a responsibility to do that. So I'll tell some stories. It was about three years ago, about Christmas time. I had done a wedding downtown Vancouver. It was one of those Vancouver or Victoria, you know, rainy, cold, dark December evenings. Done the wedding reception was a beautiful kind of a ballroom downtown. And driving home, I decided that I was sleepy, so I said to my wife, "I need a I need a steep tea, Tim Hortons." So I pulled into this little Tim Hortons just on the edge of Vancouver. And as I'm walking in, there's pelting rain, and there's a, there's a gentleman outside the door, a homeless gentleman outside the door. And he says, Sir, can you spare some change? And I said, um, I'll catch you on the way out. Now, let me just disclose to you what was going on inside of me. Now, I, I would like you to believe that I'm the most compassionate guy on the planet. However, we have our weak spots, don't we? Unless you don't have any, then please exchange places and come up and take over the sermon for me. I would love that. But I'm thinking to myself, man, I read an article in the Bellingham Post that these guys make somewhere between two and three hundred bucks a day panhandling. And I, and my, so my judgment kicks into gear, and I'm thinking, I'm compassionate. It's a rainy day. This guy's standing outside. But, oh, I'll, I'll you know, and I was actually thinking about going out another door, <laughs> truthfully. But while I'm standing in line, the Holy Spirit, you know that? That convicting nudge inside your gut began to to, to talk to me about my judgment. And I said, okay, God, okay. So I got my steep tea, come back out, and I gave him a toonie. But I paused. Because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, I paused and I engaged him for a minute. Did I tell you it was pouring rain? I'm trying to find a place where I can stay away from the downpour. And there really wasn't much of a spot. And so for the next minute or two... I engaged him, I looked him in the eye, I said, how are you doing? Here's a little something, Go inside side, get something warm to drink, get warm for a minute. And then he looked at me and for about the next minute, minute and a half, he tells me about his family story, just drops it. And I, I'm stunned, everybody has a story by the way, and he finishes by, by saying, you look like a very kind man. Very compassionate man. You stood out here and listened to my story on a rainy day. He said, Let me, I want to give you something. So he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a Tim's card, hands me a Tim's card. I go, well, well thank you. you know. And I, I go to the car and I climb in the car. My wife says, that was a long time. you know." And uh, a gift of compassion needed to follow me to the car, apparently. But anyway, I get in the car and she said, what happened? What? And I told her the story. And I said, he gave me this Tim's card do you think there's anything on it? I said, no, I'm sure it's a dead card. You know, that's what I thought. Some of you guys are way ahead of me in this story. A couple days later, uh, I was at Tim Hortons, which I probably should have shares in Tim Hortons, but I, I stopped there to get, and I remembered this card that I had put in my wallet, so I thought, no, why not? I'll check it out. 20 bucks. 20 bucks on the Tim's card. I felt about that big. And the Holy Spirit dealt with me in a way that I can't quite explain. He, he, he began to talk to me about not passing by people, not being so busy that I ignore, so busy that I don't see the needs of those that are, that are so obviously around me. And you never know, because generosity releases generosity. And the Holy Spirit can use the little bit that we give. Even if it's, I'm not telling you you should give money to everybody you see. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I knew that I had to deal with my judgment In that moment, and the Holy Spirit kind of elbowed me right in the ribs and said, Steve, your attitude is wrong. Compassion. The Holy Spirit's call is for us as all believers to show compassion to people that are in need around us. A key verse is found in Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4 Defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Uh, compassion-based ministries are everywhere, and I believe that God has, the, has a call on the church, not just this church, but the church in general, that the fundamental value of the church, in addition to salvation and redemption, but one of the fundamental values is compassion. God has utilized and used the church to begin all kinds of incredible compassion-based ministries. The church is the primary way in which most compassion-based ministries occur. Well, if we have time, we'll bump into that at the end of our message. Because it's who God is. It's part of his DNA. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak. About 25 years ago, Jose and Nancy Owero came to our Bible college called Pacific Bible College. Predates me. But they came there as a young couple and to get Bible training in Canada, to go back home, which they did after the training. They went back home to, to Kenya, to Kisumu in Kenya. And they started a, a network of churches. But shortly after they were back, Hosea developed leukemia. Very, very ill. And it did not look good. He came back to Canada. We helped him get some treatments, but he did not survive the treatments. He, But before he passed away, knowing the culture in that area of, of Kenya, that the, the right of inheritance do not pass from husband to wife. It passes from uh, the man to the other males, the adult males in, in the family, so it would go to his surviving brothers. And so he was wise in how he handled this. So what he did is, uh, Hosea, before he passed away, went and got an injunction where his wife was appointed the steward, or the custodian of his estate until his son was old enough to take over the estate. So it was a legal document, profound, but it protected his family. Because what happens or what would have happened is that the brothers would have come in. He would have shown his wife to the door and taken everything except the clothes on their back. That's what, what typically happened in this country, in this area, this tribal area in Kisumu in Kenya. And so Nancy was one of the lucky ones. She was able to actually maintain her, her family, her, her lifestyle, but always was, but was always being challenged by the brothers. She actually had to hire, with our help, a security guard to protect her stuff because they're always trying to come in at night and, and steal her chickens or her goats or whatever. And it was just a horrific story. But she lifted up her eyes from her own grief and loss and began to realize that she was one of thousands of women in the same, same uh, situation in this area of Kenya. And she began to realize that widows and, and, and orphans, in this case, uh, around her, that there was really no good recourse for their, for their help because no one wanted to take them in. Let me add to this, that at this time when I was visiting there about 10 years ago or 12 years ago, there was a front, uh, front page newspaper headline that said, in Kisumu, the, the statistic that had just come out from their health organization in Kenya was Kisumu State, the rate of HIV AIDS was 37%. So I, I don't know what that does to you. I know what it did to me. I'm driving around I'm going one, two, three, one, two, three. Trying to get my head wrapped around a crisis that horrific And most of these widows that we're talking about and and the consumer state were were the widows um, because of the AIDS epidemic. And many of them were infected with the disease themselves. And here they are trying to raise their children, live long enough to see their kids grow up. It just broke my heart. And I remember being just completely overwhelmed by this, but Nancy stepped into this this need, and said, we've got to do something. So she organized these widows into, she called them groups or community groups, and she had well over, I think, over 500 widows that she pulled into these groups, and they would meet, and they would learn trades, and she created a co-op where they would make soap and sell soap. They, we bought sewing machines, and they sewed things and sold them in the market. We gave them uh, micro-enterprises, remarkable thing. And I, I go into these places, and they are, they have nothing, nothing, I remember going into a service and they gathered these women together for a convention. A Canadian donor brings them all together, pays for the venue, pays for the food for a week. And like five, six hundred of these ladies come. And I was a guest speaker. What do you say to people like this? I'm looking at them thinking, I'm privileged. I'm a white privileged guy from Canada. What do I say to a group of women that don't have two nickels to rub together? I talked about the love of God that transcends this world and this life. So deeply moved was I by their, by their story. And the, and the love for Jesus that was so profoundly in them. I, they would lead, and like, like you, they are so gifted with a cappella music. And they would sing, and I actually took out my phone and recorded it because I was convinced that the angels were singing with us. And they had a couple pieces of pipe that they were banged together to keep rhythm and some drums. That was it. Moving. I came home from that trip. And I'm, I'm trying to tell this story in part to my congregation. And I said, there's something we've got to do. We've we got to keep these women alive a so they can raise their kids. But the antivirals are available through the UN, but they have to be taken. The meds have to be taken with, with food or else it doesn't work. They need nutrition. So got on the phone. I made some contacts with the ministry I worked with. And we shipped a couple 40-foot containers of, of a dehydrated soup mix over there to help them out. But I said, there's something else. We've got to do something more. I, I, maybe what we should do. I, I'm preaching. And I had this spontaneous thought. I know, Once in a while it works, most of the time it doesn't, just so you know. But I had this spontaneous thought where I said, wouldn't it be great if we could give, I don't know, like like goats and cows so they could, so they could have some, some milk and they could sell the product and they have a little bit of money for their pockets to buy food for their family. And I said, and I'm, I'm speaking this out just like I'm doing here. And a guy in the back of my church said, I'm in. Interrupted my sermon. How? <laughs> and he came come up to the front, and he, and he, he put some money on the, on the platform. True story. And I'm going, well, thanks. You know, like that's never happened to me before. Spontaneous offering in the middle of a message. And someone else says, I'm in. And literally what happened over about the next three to four minutes is that there was a rush to the front. A display of compassion and generosity like I've never seen. I was so humbled. And then my my missions pastor at the time caught me the next day and said, "What did you do?" He said, "How do I administrate this? I got like four thousand bucks in a spontaneous offering right here. I have no idea what kind of we don't have a program for goats and cows and sheep and whatever I said, "I don't know, but I think you've got a problem you have to fix you know ended up that we were able to to actually create a a husbandry program in that country and it's just wonderful to see now the health after m- numbers of years that there are hundreds of milking goats and and cows that are providing food for these women and many of them are going to live long enough to see their kids grow up. That's compassion in action. But it comes from, I don't know what to do, but God is able to do more. And he says this, that we are called to defend the weak and the fatherless, to uphold the cause of the poor, to rescue the weak, and so on. This, to me, is, is a theme that's more than just a biblical concept. To me, it's about my, my life, my world. Compassion, you see, is not just what the church does. Compassion is what the church is. Compassion is not just what we do. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. Compassion literally means by definition to suffer with or to suffer alongside. God is a God of compassion. God is a God who didn't, didn't leave his son Jesus in the glories of, of heaven, but sent him down to live on the planet among us. Jesus was touched with real humanity. We talked in Sunday school class about his willingness to reach out and touch lepers, to, to engage in, in women prostitutes at the well, Uh, Jesus was willing to get involved in the messes of our world. That's compassion. He could have just spoken, bang, perhaps, and dealt with all the world's problems. But he came and lived among us because he loves us. We see compassion in the Old Testament where God sets the cultural standard for his people, Israel. And he he describes for us, as he set up this this new kingdom, he had a a nation of slaves, and he's trying to create... a, a. A civil kind of organization where they would understand that not only were they called to live civilly together, but they had a mission and a purpose. Kind of like the church. God has a plan for us that goes beyond our ability to see ourselves and is much bigger. Let's pick this up in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this whole chapter is is profound, but let me go back and pick up a couple verses before what you see on the screen. Verse 17, he says, do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And that's why I command you to do this. In other words, you get it. You get it. You know what it was like to suffer lack. You were slaves and I rescued you. So therefore, you go and you show compassion to the people around you. Verse 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do do not go back and get it, but leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow remember that you were slaves in egypt that is why i command you to do this god set up in this in this passage a clear understanding of how in this the slave nation that had a call of god this nation that had been liberated from the slavery of nearly 30 years in Egypt. And now there's an opportunity for them to create a new kingdom. A, the kingdom where God is their leader. And God says, I want you to understand that mercy and compassion has to be in integrated everything that you do. It's not just about you. It's about the people around. You must embrace them. You must bring them in. You must take care of the, of the foreigner. Now, what would the foreigner be for us? I mean, most of us are not agrarian. We don't go out in the morning and plant your oats and weed and harvest your, anybody harvest olives today, by the way? I'm just wondering, you know, we don't do that. First of all, I don't see olive trees here in Victoria. Wouldn't that be cool, though? But the passage tells us that what we're supposed to do is we're to be compassionate and caring for the foreigner, what is the foreigner in our culture? Well, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the immigrant. Maybe it's the refugees that come in. Maybe it's the people that don't automatically have access or land or resources. Israel was commanded to help them. This is what you're supposed to Take care of the foreigners among your midst. And that's the thing that... It, why? Because you were slaves. Because you understand what it feels like to have nothing. You understand what it feels like to be out, the outsiders in a different culture. And then he says, take care of the fatherless and the widow. These are the disadvantaged Israelites, the people within. It's like when you see people that are part of your tribe, take care of them. Family members, congregants. That's what the scripture is saying. The fatherless, the widow, the people are going through a tough time. We have a responsibility to do that because remember you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. This, in essence, became part of the social safety net at a time where they didn't have welfare system, they didn't have government payouts. The nation, the people, were called by God to take care of. Is it possible, think about it, that if the church stepped up, I'm not saying you, this is not about, you guys are are stellar, but what if, I'm serious, but what if the church in North America understood the call that was on the church? I think that we could largely eliminate homelessness, hunger, I think. If we understood that God is our resource, not just our ability. Have you ever done, you know, what do I have in my pocket? Not much. I really can't help. We look at our lack. We say, I can't possibly do this. All I have is a loony in my pocket. But the world is filled with needs. And God says, you meet the needs. And I feel like the disciples with 5,000 hungry men on the hillside. Know that story? Remember how that ended? They say, Jesus, we can't do this. And what was Jesus' response? What do you have? What do you have? See, when Jesus touches what we have, it becomes more than enough. Compassion. We're called to it. There'll never be enough. Let, let me just blow the, this out of the water. There'll never be enough. There will always be overwhelming needs that are bigger than your ability to meet them. There always will be. I have been in ministry for so many years now, and I I keep thinking, okay, when we have enough, then we'll be able to do. And I've concluded near the end of this season of my life that there will never be enough, but it's not about what I have. It's about who he is. It's about who he is and his ability to—would you agree with me? Are you willing to take that step of faith and trust that God is bigger than our ability? And just become comfortable with being incredibly uncomfortable. Not having enough. And yet God is more than enough. We'll talk about that as we close our time. In this passage. And uh, wow. In this passage in Deuteronomy chapter. As I said this is one of my life messages. So we're going to be in trouble here. Because we're not going to get through everything. That's okay. We're going to fly through it. This story and this passage out of Deuteronomy. Chapter 23. It's where there was a command on the people of Israel to not to not harvest right to the edge of the field. One of my spiritual fathers, his name was Wally Wenji, and he he was involved with youth with the mission. And he and his wife were in charge back in 1981 with the resettling of the Cambodian. Uh, refugees who have fled from Pol Pot's regime, and they were ended up in Thailand. And his job was to help resettle them back in their own country. But in this story, uh, he and his wife had a busload of, of people being repatriated, and they drove through the jungles, and they landed just inside the Thai border. And they were moving about 500,000 displaced people back into Thailand, dropping them off in the middle of the jungle. So everything was littered with landmines, and incredibly dangerous. And they're still loyalists to Pol Pot there to, to obviously to exterminate them if they could catch them. And this was the environment that the UN was sending these people back to. Toxic environment. And so Wally and his wife uh, were handing out food packets as these people were getting off the bus. They got, a, they got a humanitarian aid packet as they're climbing off the bus. And one young mother came up to Wally with her newborn baby in her hands and said here in her broken English, take this one, take this one. And the child, they, they figure, is probably a product of, of, of rape by a Thai guard who was guarding the camp. And knowing the, the mother, knowing this child would not be accepted by the villagers, knew that this would, the hardship ahead of this child would be profound. Not just hunger, but also being ostracized by her own people. Wally says, years later, I remember him saying as he would tell the story with tears running down his face, he said, that was a pivotal moment in my life. And he had read this passage In his quiet time that morning. And uh, some weeks later he was back home in California visiting his family. And the Lord began to talk to him in his quiet time that morning. And said, reminded him of this passage. And said, Wally, what are the, what is the gleanings of California? And he remembered going through the orchards in California. And a lot of the fruit, the calls would just drop. Between 30 and 70% of all the fruit is left to rot in the fields. Because the market price isn't good enough. Or they're too big. Or they're off color. Or they're misshapen. And God began to speak to Wally Wenji that the fruit in the valley was the gleanings for the world. And put this idea, this creative, crazy idea in his mind to take the fruit and dehydrate it and ship it all over the world. And we're thinking, that's a crazy idea. How do you do that? He didn't know. He was an executive for Sears. He was executive vice president of finance. He wasn't in the food industry. But nonetheless, he... He listened to the Lord and he, he started this concept, this idea in his backyard, he, just peeling fruit. And a few years later, I don't know if those pictures are there or not, of the, of the fruit. You throw this up on the screen, there you go. This is, uh, this is Gleaners for the Hungry. You might know some of those people that are in the picture as my daughters. But we now process in the summertime 150 to 200,000 pounds of fresh fruit every single day. Every day that goes to feed the poor. And then in the wintertime you see some of the trays. It's all sun-dried out in the field. Uh, and then it's collected, bucketed, compacted, shipped overseas. And they do about 1.5 million uh, servings of dehydrated soup mixed through the rest of the year in a week. A million to a million and a half servings. All came out of this guy's idea that, God, there must be gleanings. There must be something we can do to help the poor around the world. This guy's my hero. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And uh, in the years that, that have followed, we've, we've watched God do such incredibly amazing things through this ministry. About 50 to 60 nations a year, we ship between two and three 40-foot containers of dehydrated product all over the world. And it's distributed in the, by missionaries and pastors who receive the, the food and give it out to the poor in their communities at the site of uh, natural disasters or that goes into orphanages, it takes care of refugees, all because one man said, we can do something. He didn't have what it took. He didn't have the funds. He didn't have the ability. He just had a big God-sized dream. And 100 plus people a week volunteer at this place to do ministry there. It's remarkable. Anybody want to read the rest of the story? Because I have a book. Would anyone like to read the rest of the story? It's yours. Let's hand it back. It's a great story. Compassion. It's what we're called to. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. And I believe that when we step out and we allow God to use us as he intends for us to be used, the world can be transformed by it. Let's move ahead now and look at Jesus underscoring this concept of compassion as a kingdom standard. Matthew chapter 25. In this passage, I'm just going to read a portion of the passage. We'll pick it up in verse 31. <laughs> There's a huge build-up here. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate uh, the people one from another as as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now pause. The King of Glory has come. He's taken his seat on his throne. He's about to judge the nations. He's about to judge the peoples. The righteous on one side, the people that are not righteous on the other. And drum roll, please. What what is the standard of judgment? He, what you've done for the kingdom. I mean, how many how many great sermons you preached, Daniel? I mean, songs you've written. I mean the standard. What is the standard by which you're about to be judged? How many churches you've built? No. He says this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him and said, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or, Thirsty and give you something to drink. And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? And when do we, were you sick or in prison? And we went to visit you. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Compassion. The call of God on the church. You see, is is powerful, and this is Jesus is reinforcing the kingdom standard of compassion. This is uh, the value. The this is the foundation upon which the kingdom is built. The compassion of God expressed through His people, because people look at us. And it's interesting here that it's possible, brothers and sisters, to make a huge kingdom impact and not even realize you've done it. It's possible to make a tremendous impact and walk away saying, "When did we do it? When?" Because you did it to the least of these. It was the simple things. It was the practical things. When Jesus judges us at the end of the world, it's for multiple things, but one of the primary things is, what did you do for the least of these, my brothers? How do we do it? And he describes us as the righteous ones, the ones in whom and for whom are willing to, to step in. and, and to... Righteousness simply means to sacrifice yourself to benefit somebody else. That's a simple lamest definition. I had a Hebrew scholar explain that to me. I tried to come up with a really clever word and definition of righteousness. He said, let me bottom line it for you. Because we look at the practical side of theology, he said, righteousness means that you sacrifice yourself to benefit someone else. For me, though my attitude was wrong, maybe it was a righteous act that I gave a tuning to a homeless guy. Or that I go to Gleanings for the Hungry and stay out with a hundred young people in the hot California sun to dry peaches. It's an act of righteousness. I've been on the other side where where we've actually given the product away. and We've seen the people's response. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus underscores that his kingdom is built on compassion. And then the Apostle James highlights compassion is central to the value of the early church. And we read this, this extended passage as part of our Bible reading a few moments ago. But in James, he says to us, that the religion which God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted or faultless from the world. He says, take care of the widows. Pure and faultless religion. Don't show favoritism based on ethnicity or social economic status. He tells us in this passage that a living faith produces living examples of Christ who lives inside of our heart. That if Christ is alive and our faith is vibrant, then we should be able to see it. Or if someone said... If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough visible evidence to convict you? I'm hoping that would be true for every single one of us. Because compassion is where we get to do it. We get to demonstrate the love of Jesus in very real, very practical ways. And it's something that's within reach of everyone. Not everyone can stand up front and preach or teach. Some of us, that's awkward. But we all can show compassion. We all can do something simple. We all can step outside of our comfort zone to reach out to people. And in this passage, uh, there's just, let me read just a couple verses as I wrap this. What good is it, my brothers, he says in verse 14, chapter 2. The man claims to have faith, but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, be warm, be well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, yes. And then he goes on and says this. He says, true faith. True faith is evidenced by deeds. You foolish men, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is dead? He says, in the same way, a person who has faith. You'll see it in what he does. Uh, let, me, let me just wrap this quickly, and then we're going to go to a, a moment here of silence as we look forward. You see, the church has been used by God throughout, throughout history in our culture to lead compassion-based changes, abolition of slavery, publicly funded education, Child labor was abolished in Britain. Women's ability to wrote the creation of, of specific social safety nets for the poor. Uh, food safety, food security, equal rights for all people, white, black, and uh, people of color. The church led the charge in that. Compassionate believers stood up and said, we're going to make a difference. We're going to pause right now in this point in our sermon. Recognizing that we can't do everything. Not every one of us is a Wally Wenji or a Nancy O'Ware, but we all can do something. We can, we can sponsor a child. We can send a, a gift box from Samaritan's to Samaritan's Purse. We can donate our time to, to mentor an ESL student, or we can serve in a soup kitchen, or we can take a, a new refugee shopping at Christmas time. We can't do everything, but everyone can do something, and together with God's help, we can do all things through him who gives us the strength. But compassion sometimes carries great consequences. I'm grateful for those who who have sacrificed in our military. Veterans who, for the sake of freedom, for the sake of compassion, suffered. To ensure that we would have the liberty and freedom which we so enjoy these days. We're going to take just a minute to be quiet and just pause. And while we're quiet... Two things that I obviously remember, but can we remember and just give thanks, first of all, thanking God for these people for their sacrifice? And secondly, can we pray for safety on those that are active service members right now? Give thanks and intercede. Let's take a moment, just a minute in silence. this pray. Father, we're so thankful for the stellar example of men and women who have sacrificed so that we can know freedom, who through their love and their compassion have modeled for us something of what it means to be righteous, to give of themselves to benefit somebody else. And Lord, I don't know that there's a better earthly example of that than those who volunteer to serve in other countries, to uphold justice, righteousness, who to act in a way that's honorable and faithful. And Lord, some of them have paid the highest price. We honor them today. We thank you for them. We pray for those active members of the military right now. I pray that your grace and favor and protection would be around them. You'd watch over them, that you'd be their protector, their shield, their fortress, their high tower. May they find their security and their strength in you today. And Lord, for us, as we as we close the sermon, I, Lord, I, I think of two scriptures that come to my mind right now. And, and those two scriptures uh, are a call to us to live our lives in a way that bring you glory and honor, that we would be self-sacrificing and demonstrating compassion. The first uh, is, is a passage where you say that when a person shuts their ears to the cry of the poor, you will shut your ears to our cry as well. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are responsive, that we don't look the other way. We don't want to be like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan and cross over to the other side. But help us, Lord, to be responsive to the needs around us because the consequences, if we're not, your word says that your ears will be closed to our cry. And secondly, Lord, I love the passage in my life verse that says that that the righteous man lends to the poor. (laughs) And yet, your word tells us that uh, if you lend to the, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and he will repay him for what he's done. Lord, I pray for the favor and blessing that comes to the compassionate to fall in this church. I pray for a lavish outpouring of generosity from heaven, that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on this congregation that is so great they wouldn't be able to contain it. The be- beautiful thing about generosity is that it's, it is ongoing. You give, God gives. You give more, God gives more. Holy Spirit, I pray for a great release of generosity that the great mercy works and the compassionate works that have been uh, begun in this house and continue would just multiply and increase. I pray because you have called us not just to do compassion but to be compassionate as a believer, as, as a congregation of believers. We pray we bless you in Jesus' name, amen.